Welcome to Terminal Value. So everything I do here at Terminal Value is based around one big question, and that is how do growth-oriented people transform their business and their life to achieve world-class levels of value in everything they do? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answers. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new podcast episodes five times per week. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. And also make sure to follow me on social. You can just look for the Doug Utberg handle. Please comment and let me know your thoughts. I'm looking forward to working together so that we can make your life amazing. We have Gary Gusinov with us today. And what we are going to be talking about is how small and medium businesses can grow through leveraged acquisition. Now, I know to a lot of people who are listening, when you hear the phrase leveraged acquisition, it make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up just a little bit. But the thing is, you know, if you do it right, it can actually be a fantastic way to grow your business. Now, of course, I was in the corporate world for 20 years. And so I have seen a long laundry list of bungled acquisitions, many of which were taking place when I was at Intel Corporation, where Intel paid tremendous amounts of money for these companies and usually ended up destroying whatever unique value that they had absorbed. We can get into how and why that happens and how you can avoid it and just a minute. But Gary, please introduce yourself. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Doug. Uh, my name is Gary Sandum. I'm the CEO of Real Defense Holdings. We're a, uh, a holding company that acquires consumer privacy and security companies in North America. Uh-huh. So four acquisitions in the past four or five years. We've, we've uh, raised about $50 million. We're profitable and growing. Got it. Well, okay. Let's talk about this leveraged acquisition thing. You know, because I think it's something that's really, really easy to misunderstand. And I think the place where it plays the best is when you have a business where you can acquire another company that's either in the same business as you or in an adjacent business as you. And at least the way that I think about it is that you want to say, okay, you want to acquire a company that will have a significant crossover with the same customers that you are trying to serve. Because then what you can do is you can market offers to those customers. And if you do it right, you should be able to generate enough additional revenue to where you can offset the acquisition cost or the interest payments, depending on on what kind of situation you're looking at. And you can end up having a situation where your net value ends up being a multiple of the acquired company. At least that's the idea. Right. And so there are three fundamental benefits to doing this. One is a creative revenue. So you're providing yep. the company, hopefully they have revenue and you can add that revenue to your company. Profitability, if they're a profitable business, you mm-hmm. can add profit to your company by acquiring your competitor or a company that makes sense for you. And then uh, the third one, most important one is synergies of costs. So yep. if you're buying a competitor that does exactly what you do or similar to your business, you don't need twice as many expenses, right? So you can get rid of some of the costs and increase profitability of the new company you're buying, as well as the overall new entity that you mm-hmm. just Precisely. Well, and I think one of the things, at least that I've seen, uh, you know, and of course, you know, a number of the people I follow, you know, like, for example, you know, I follow Russell Brunson of, of ClickFunnels. And one of the things that he's been talking about is how there have been a lot of businesses he's been acquiring where there'll be like, say, a website that runs a blog and it has a list of like 50,000 people. 
And they basically, what they'll do is they just send out their blog. They don't even try to sell them anything. And he says, well, okay, you can pay a ridiculous multiple of their existing revenue. Then what you do is you just plug that list into your existing product stack, send them out, basically create and essentially what they call an irresistible offer, right? Just stack on so much value to an offer that people who are paying attention almost can't not buy it. And now you pull them into your funnel and you can just immediately pop enough revenue to where you're basically offsetting that acquisition cost. And now you've just grown your customer base. Yeah. There are lots of ways to sort of create value in in the acquisition target. You can buy an email list Uh from a company, right? The company brought up a business, but they have an email list that you can monetize. So that's one way to do it. You can buy, I prefer acquisitions that have a quantifiable value they want. So not yeah. value has to be created over time, but rather value you can see immediately. So if let's say you sell auto parts and there's another auto parts company that sells auto parts online, you know that they want to sell. You've come to terms in terms of value of the business. The value is reasonable. It's in the industry sort of norm. It's a, mm-hmm. the, the multiple is reasonable. You make an offer and sometimes you'd be amazed what kind of offers you, you can Make. Sometimes companies will finance the company under their own company they're selling you will finance it themselves. In other yep. words, you don't have to give them any money up front. You're just paying a monthly payment towards the acquisition price. There are banks that finance acquisitions. You'd be amazed how many banks want to finance acquisitions rather than finance startups or venture capital. There's far more banks doing acquisition financing than there are banks doing or institutions doing venture capital. Let's unpack that a little bit because yeah. I think it makes sense, but I think that that's something that's really important because I mean, if we just think from an economic perspective, right, what a bank is looking for is they're looking for the highest probability possible that their loans will be repaid. Absolutely. Cash flow lending. It's uh, any bank that whether they give you a credit card or a home loan, all they care about is that you pay it back. Yep. Because the, the terms are set, right? They're going to tell you, you're paying 6%, 10%, whatever the interest rate is, and they want to make sure the money gets paid. In venture capital, the anticipation of return is questionable, right? You, you yes. don't know. I think like 80 or 90% of venture capital transactions fail. So you're investing into that 10% that will succeed. Yeah. And arguably, there are opportunities, obviously, out there. There's plenty of venture capitalists are making a lot of money mm-hmm. out there. It's, it's a great business. But a lot of them don't make any money. And you don't hear about that, right? You don't hear about <laughs> right? you hear about successes, right? And in banking, there's also failures, but there are, the, the percentages are much lower in terms of default rate. As is this, that's almost inconsequential to your as a business. Like that shouldn't bother you. What should be concern your concern is how to grow your business, right? And yep. so you can do it organically or through your own money. In other words, you're investing into customer acquisition, you're paying for advertising, you're paying for marketing, you're driving traffic, you're doing SEO, you're doing all those things that you heard work for, for, for yourself and work for other people. When you buy a business, you're skipping all these things. You're skipping all this risk because mm-hmm. someone else took that risk, yep. the company you're buying, right? And you're paying for this company. If you're buying it with debt, let's say you're buying, you, you borrowed money from a bank, you can structure a loan where the loan value to the equity or to the profitability of the business is structured in such a way where let's say you're buying a company for $2 million and the company generates 500000 in profit every year. You can borrow money, let's say $2 million, so that the monthly payment is lower than the profit you're generating from this new company. Yeah. So that way you have profit day one. 
Yes. So in a $2 million transaction, let's say you put up 10%, like it's just like real estate, right? You're buying 10% down payment, 90% bank finance, right? Bank finances, that 90%, they will probably structure a deal where you're not paying principal, you're just paying the interest. And then in five years or six years or seven years, whatever the term is, you pay off the balance. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking this is like a smaller version of the leveraged buyouts that were really popular in the 1980s, except that a lot of those were financed with high interest rate bonds, you know, high yield bonds as right. they're called now, junk bonds junk as they bond. were called back yeah. then. Right. So there's actually, if the junk bonds are structured properly, the, the, it's a perfectly good scenario. But for a small company that's generating anywhere between $500,000 and let's say $10, $15 million a year in revenue, there's lots of opportunities out there. Your local mm-hmm. bank can do this for you. You can go... Yeah. Bank of America and say, I want an acquisition loan. I have a company that's doing two million revenue, five hundred thousand in profit. I want to buy a competitor doing about the same. Here, here's the structure, and they'll tell you what they can finance. They'll give you terms, and you go from there. If they can't do it, there's lots of other companies that can. A ton of them, thousands of them in the United States. Banks, private individuals, small institutions, credit unions, lots of them. The SBA does yeah. acquisition financing. So. Uh, lots of options. What, what you need to focus on are fundamentals, the unit economics of the business. Is this mm-hmm. a declining business? Is it flat? Is the management team and the people that work for the company staying with the company? You need to pre-negotiate those things. Make sure you're not walking into a situation where you buy the company and suddenly everybody quits. Yeah, that's right? probably not ideal. Not, not ideal. So you, you have no asset there. Uh, human capital is, is really important. And then the asset, underlying asset, what, what is it? You know, What kind of business is it? Is it a subscription business, if it's subscription business, then is, are they doing everything by the book? And you know, you got to do your diligence, it's common yeah. sense, right? And so you've done your diligence, you know, hopefully you've hired a law firm that knows how to do M&A. Hopefully you've you hired what's called a earnings sort of a company that does quality of earnings. And this is diligence of financials. They'll do like, it's like forensic, fin- uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. They'll look at the numbers, make sure that the company actually generates the revenue, they'll audit the money trail, make sure that Everything's on up and up. So if you do all those things properly, you'll have a successful outcome. Excellent. Well, okay. One of the things I would naturally think is that, okay, where are the places that you f- would find these kind of deals? Of course, you can go to places like biz, buy, sell, but right. you know, those will tend to have, there'll be some pyramid schemes, right. pyramid schemes, Ponzi schemes. You'll have some overpriced local businesses, and then you'll have a few legit deals. What are some of the other places where you're going to find, you know, kind of these legitimate opportunities at? Sure. That's the hard part. What everything I said prior to this is the easy part. The hard part is finding the company. The company that's just like real estate. Finding the deal is finding the deals, right? It's all the problem. All the financing, all the structures out there for the right deal, right? So yeah. everybody's willing to write a check for the right deal. So how do you do it? The first way to do it is to have relationships with people that run these businesses. Mm-hmm. You have to be in the know. Like if, like I said, our parts business. You got to have friends who have these businesses. You have to socialize with them. Go to yeah. the same events they go to. Go take them for drinks or dinner if you know your competitors. Go to industry events. If you don't do that, you're cutting yourself out from 50% of the opportunity out there because the best deals are going to be the ones that are not on the internet. They're not online being marketed. There's no broker involved. It's just you talking to another person, another human being, CEO of another company who says, yeah, you know what? I'm going to retire next year. You know, what do you think about buying my business? That kind of conversation, right? That's what you want ideally. Now, if you don't have that or you're operating at scale, like you want to do an acquisition a month or a, mm-hmm. six months, you're, you know, you've got your act together and you're, you're moving really fast, you may want to in- engage a broker that you tell them what you want to buy 
And that broker then starts calling companies, yeah. literally picking up the phone and saying, hey, do you want to sell? Do you want to sell? And hopefully they'll find you the right deal. I was just thinking when you said that, there was something that came to my mind. There was a, a fellow that I met in the real estate business of years ago, a fellow named Mitch Stevens. And so his whole thing is was you know the fix and flip rehabs. And right. he's recently gotten into self-storages. But it's funny, he is the probably one of the least kind of technologically involved people I know. And so what he does is he basically just went down to the county register's office and found, you know, like essentially got a list of the self-storage units that are around his place. And then I think he just burned about like 300 copies of a letter. And then what he does is I think he just basically spreads them out per week and then he'll send a letter out to all of them, send one set of letters out. And then three months later, he'll just send them again. And basically just says, Hey, my name is Mitch. I'd like to buy your business. And you know, most of the time people say they just throw it away. What'll happen is about once every two, three months is somebody will be like, Hey, I want to sell. And then just starts a conversation and it does not have to be high tech. (laughs) No, not at all. In fact, that approach of just playing the numbers game and just the odds is a great approach as well. You just have to have a system. You have a a source of these leads and you do an outbound campaign and some of them will call you and some will call you a year later, two years later, because they remember you or they weren't ready to sell at the moment. And you'd be amazed how quickly things change. People change their mind about selling a business on a daily basis. It could be family issue, health issue, market conditions, financing. There's all kinds of reasons. And the people that are most confident about not selling could be the turned around in 24 hours because of some situation that they're in. And so it's a good practice to be this proactive. And this person clearly knows what they're doing. Yeah. But if you're not in the business of buying businesses, if you're just a regular person, regular business owner, and you're looking to increase your market share, increase your profit revenue, you don't have to have all this in place. Like you can literally either hire a banker or you can (laughs) yourself just go online and find your competitors and email them yourself. Find them on LinkedIn, find a CEO on LinkedIn, email the CEO and say, I'm a CEO of this XYZ company. I'm interested in buying your company. Do you want to have a conversation? Yes or no? It's easy, right? You have to think about that. If they're interested in selling, they'll call you back and they'll say, yeah, let's have a conversation. If they're not interested, they may not get back to you. Fine, move on to the next person, right? So you have to think about this. This is not rocket science. This doesn't require PhD and you know marketing. You mm-hmm. just have to act. And so this is one, another way. Now, these websites you mentioned, Biz by Sell, there's about five or six other ones that are pretty decent. The problem with them is that they a lot of the businesses on there are really, really small. Like these are 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 businesses. So you know, that's what you want to buy. It's fine. But for someone who's already established, that this kind of acquisition is not going to work. If you're going to go in the category of multi-million dollar businesses, Mm -hmm. a lot of times the people that end up on these websites have had no luck selling other ways. So in other words, they hired a banker, that person failed. So they said, okay, I'll then do it myself. And they go online and start trying to sell themselves. Businesses are not structured to sell. In other words, they don't have audited financials. They don't know how to provide financials. Sometimes their infrastructure is, is all over the place. They're commingling with other businesses in terms of their resources and assets. And so it's hard to pull it together once you start talking to them. They're like, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that. And then when you start doing your diligence, it becomes problematic and complicated and expensive. And so you got to be careful. And then there's also scams, the Ponzi schemes and all that. Uh, companies that generate revenue from advertising, be really careful. Sometimes that advertising is fake. Sometimes traffic is fake. And so you're buying you know, an asset that, doesn't have any value. And so you're just running around hoping it'll turn profit one day or it shows. One of, those, one of the things that I've seen a number of times too, is that a lot of times you'll have a listing, but the owner will not be accounting for the cost of their time. 
So in other words, what will happen is the financials will not be burdened for what it would cost to have an operator. And you'll have a business that's valued based on a very key cost not being in the P&L. Right. Right. Well, what you should do is if you're buying a company, you're going to run it yourself. Then you can assume that the owner is going to leave and that profit that they were generating, usually this is smaller companies, that profit that they were generating is not including the CEO's salary yeah. because they're drawing from the profit of the business. And so you need to take that into account. So if you're not going to run that business, you have to hire someone to do it. That cost needs to be baked into the valuation process. In other words, oh, so no CEO. Well, I got to add a CEO. Well, how much is that going to cost? Oh, 150000 200000 Well, that brings the profit of the company down. You just kind of spurred a, uh, a tangent thought here. And because you know this is another situation that I've helped a couple of my friends with is after you do that process, if that process of putting an adequately compensated CEO flips the cash flow negative, how do you value that? Because there's still value there, but if you you know because like obviously there are companies that lose money that still have very significant levels of market capitalization, right. but that's always one of the things that I've had a hard time wrapping my head around. When you have a business that has positive revenue but negative net profits, how do you appropriately value that? Yeah, it's difficult. The financing sources change, okay? Yeah. So it's no longer a cash flow lender. It's, it's a, an equity invest with a debt component or no debt, just pure equity. Mm-hmm. And investors, there are investors out there that have horizons of 10 years, 15 years. They don't need to have a, a, an exit in the next two, three years or five years. And so yeah. you have to find those investors and prove to them that after you buy the company, you have a track record of success, you're going to turn things around, you're going to improve on it. And you have to show that in your forecast, what actions you're going to take to make that happen. If those actions are quantifiable, like for instance, a company has a lease, the lease expires in six months for their office space, and they don't need all that office space. So the cost is going to go from 50000 to 25000 That's a quantifiable event. Yeah. That's not hard to forecast, right? But if you say things like, you know, the market share is 5%, I'm going to take it to 10%. Because I'm really smart marketer, uh, we don't know. Like, what if it doesn't work? Then what happens, right? And so you ha- you can't have one bullet, you know, chamber. You got to have like ten different bullets, mm-hmm. and they all need to fire maybe at the same time in order for you to get to your goal. And you'll be amazed how difficult that is when you're buying a company that's upside down and it's cash flow. A lot of times, the acquirer doesn't know how to maneuver around that. They they get distracted from their core business. And they start fixing something else, and then the core business starts to go down. And so you got to be really careful. You got to know what you're doing. If you know exactly what to do, if it's obvious, like the supply chain is the obvious one. Uh, yeah. A company sources a product from this company, costs them $10. You have the same product, you manufacture it, so that cost goes away. 10 bucks saved per unit. Great. Put that in your forecast, and banks will sign off on it because that's an easy one. You start doing all kinds of weird stuff and you're saying, well, I'm going to open up an office on the moon and I'm going to be flying ships from Mars to Earth. Like those are, you know, not believable and, and hard to obtain. So. Yeah. Well, and, you know, because particularly where you're talking about a growing market share for a, uh, to justify evaluation, because that was one of the classic things that we used to do for valuations at Intel all the time. And the thing that every one of those analyses never bears in mind is number one, what are you going to have to do to your pricing in order to double your market share? And then number two, what's the competitive response going to be? And then number three, 
what's everything going to look like after everything's re-equalized? Because usually if you try to price your way into higher share, what will happen is your competitors will drop price and then you'll have to match and you might gain about half as much as you thought before, but your margins will be lower. Right. Well, for a big company, what happens is that Intel, they're so big that if they bought, let's say Intel bought a billion dollar business and that business was upside down financially, nothing would happen. It's a rounding error on the back of their P&L. Like if that company went away the next day, nobody would care. But most businesses don't have that luxury. They don't have the luxury of diversification of revenue and different currencies that they're transacting in and fluctuations of those currencies and cash balance sheet being large and availability of credit, uh, you know, being, you know, available readily to them. So you have to rely on the most practical things. And my point to you is that if you're one of those companies doing, you know, a million to $10 million a year, you would consider a small business. You got to look at all this stuff very black and white. If it's not black and white, just get out, let it get out of your way and move on to the next. Like if you can't see it clearly and it's not in your wheelhouse and you don't understand what's going on, you're never going to understand what's going on. Just move on to the new one that you do understand. And you're going to be much more successful and less risk. Minimize risk. Because if you already have a business that's successful, arguably, you don't need the other business, right? Like yeah. you can just keep doing what you're doing. So you got to buy only if it makes a lot of sense and it's extremely easy to quantify. Especially because, you know, it's like you said, you know, there are so many businesses out there, which now granted, there's not an efficient way to get in contact with them, but there are so many businesses out there that could be available for sale, right? You know, you don't need to find a moonshot. You can just keep looking until you find a layup because they're out there. They're out there and you'll grow faster that way. That's the magic sort of, you know, statement here is that Mm -hmm. you can continue doing what you're doing and invest into growth. Okay. Most people don't have unlimited amount of capital to invest into a business. In fact, no one does. Okay, no one does. Even if you're a Tesla, you still got to go, you have a cap, right? Of how much money you can borrow, how much, how much equity you have. And so if you are not one of those companies or, that have lots of capital resources and you're relying heavily on organic growth, meaning you're reinvesting your profit into scale, acquisitions will be great for you because you can leapfrog scale yeah. growth, maybe double the size of your business by acquiring wisely, like doing the things I just discussed, having the right you know, capital structure in place, the right financial partner, and grow your business much quicker and without the risk of having to do it yourself. Because if you think about it, if you doubled your business, think about what you had to invest in your business to get to where you're at. Mm-hmm. So now if you want to double that, arguably you have to invest just as much or more yeah. to continue that growth, right? But acquiring a business is going to be a lot less expensive, a lot less riskier if done correctly, because then you're 30, 60 days, you're double the size after the acquisition, right? And so it's a very exciting thing. And and if you're an operator that knows how to create profit and opportunity from, from these types of acquisitions, you can do things like upsell more product. Like what we're good at at my company is create bundles and we package products very well and we increase lifetime value. And mm-hmm. customer acquisition costs. That's what we do as, uh, in, inside our, our business. And so if you know how to do that, then it's even better for you because now you yeah. take something that's doing, let's say, $10 million in revenue and you grow it to $20 million in revenue because you added more product into the sales model. Got it. All right. Well, hey, Gary, this has been a great conversation. Give us one or two last thoughts and then let everybody know where they can find you online. 
Sure. So LinkedIn is his wife. Just look up my name. It's our brand is Real Defense. IOLO is one of our products that we sell. IOLO.com. Uh, you can you can contact me through that site or LinkedIn. And uh, you know, do your diligence when you do these acquisitions. Look under the hood. Check the marketing. Check their products. Make sure you have experts around to help you. Don't try to do it on your own. It's not that easy when it comes to MA. And bring experts in and make sure you negotiate your contracts wisely. Experts are not cheap and they also want you know a decent percentage of the transaction. So make sure you negotiate that here. Got it. Well, hey, Gary, really, really appreciate your time today. You got it. Thank you. All right. Hey, thanks for watching to the end of the video. There's just a couple of things that I need from you right now. Number one is I need you to subscribe. If you're not already a subscriber to the channel, please hit the subscribe button and turn notifications on. That way you will know every time I publish new content. Number two, comment, share your thoughts. I want to know what you did and didn't like. What should I make next? And number three, share this with your friends. Go on to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, wherever you, uh, you hang out socially, and then post a link to this video and let people know what you liked about it and make sure to tag me. And then what I would also like to do is I would like to offer you the most incredible free gift ever. And this is related to my business where I help other businesses reduce their contract related costs. If you are a decision maker at a business, then I want to talk with you to see about how we can address your contract costs and drive savings. If you know somebody who is a business decision maker, then I would like you to help me get in contact with them. And in exchange, I am going to give you a absolutely free vacation at one of 30 places across the United States with no obligation and no timeshare pitch. Uh, the value of this, again, depending on how much savings we achieve, can literally be between thousands and millions. So anyway, just hit the button below for the most incredible free gift ever. Make sure to subscribe, share, and comment, and watch the next video because I'll be at you with more.